0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of RuckCast. RuckCast is your opportunity to listen in on unscripted conversations about cutting-edge Ruckus Wi-Fi and wired networking technology, Ruckus business, and just interesting innovations that impact the computer networking industry today and in the future. RuckCast is brought to you directly from Comscope Ruckus Education. For more learning opportunities, be sure to log on to training.ruckuswireless.com and view content on our Ruckus Education YouTube channel. Simply search for Ruckus Education on your YouTube homepage. Without further ado, here's your host, Matt Clouda.
1: Brian Harkins, we're back.
0: Uh, thank
2: you for having me back, Matt. I really really appreciate you having me back for these uh, podcasts. It's, it's a good way for us to discuss things in the business and uh, share our knowledge with others. This is great.
1: Yeah, I really like doing these with the instructors because this is a an education sponsored podcast. And so you get a lot of information uh, from the instructors and especially somebody like yourself. And one thing you touched on this in one of the other podcasts that we did, and you mentioned that you carried a CWNP, but what I don't think a lot of people know is that you were one of the first certified CWNPs, correct?
2: Uh,
1: CWNE. They're NE. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah,
2: CWNPs, is the program. CWNE's a certification. Uh, it, it came out. Wow. And, and, 2006, and there were fewer than 50 of us that I would call the uh, the initial group. Most of us knew each other, and, and quite honestly, the bulk of that first 50 or so were instructors. Yeah, because a lot of people weren't taking the exams and taking the time to fill it out. But but now there are over 380 certified wireless network experts worldwide. Oh, uh, and it's still a very friendly group. Uh, it's all people that that love Wi-Fi and love making the networks work. And I, I've never posed a question to another NE and not gotten a, a good response. So, um, and usually they'll encourage people that are trying to get there to, to help out as well. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a fun group. And it really focuses on knowing Wi-Fi inside and out. There's, uh, there are other certifications out there that people I used to, I used to call them test takers. They're very good at taking exams, but you ask them to do something in the field. They can't, um, To become a cwne you've got to have the exams, and you have to document uh, three things you've worked on that uh, prove your expert-level knowledge. And that documentation is reviewed by a panel of six other CWNEs to make sure that it is truly expert-level knowledge and that you are able to uh, document things well, because that's part of being a, a designer and an expert. You've got to be able to do those things. Yeah it's a, a pretty arduous task. It's not just go past these exams and suddenly you get the, the kingpin certification. It's just um, a lot of extra things beyond that. And then you have to go through renewal every three years with continuing education credits and things of that nature to prove that you're still in the business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's fantastic. Uh, I just wish that more people truly understood wifi and the certifications prove that you have a certain level of knowledge at a certain time. But it's a good, solid foundation, no matter which of the exams you take. It's just good stuff.
1: It's a testament to the program when you say that you can sit down and talk to anybody that's still carrying that certification. And it's still real, legitimate conversations and answers that come out of that. And I think we all kind of strive for that. I mean, like the test taker comment. I'm not a test taker. I've never I've never been good at taking tests. I don't know what it is about my brain. It just doesn't agree. <laughs> I mean, I find myself to be a de- decent test writer. So when we do item rights, I enjoy those. But taking tests, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but my brain just gives up on me sometimes. I'm
2: so. the same way. I always over-prepare. Yeah. And when I teach classes, especially when I used to teach public certification classes, uh, where people are, their goal of coming to class is to pass the exam. Uh, I don't teach the exam. Yeah, I teach the topics because if you understand the topics, there shouldn't be an exam question that throws you. My mm-hmm. problem is I overthink the, the question all the time. I'm looking at what if scenarios that don't exist on the test <laughs> exactly. and I make it harder on myself <laughs> than it needs to be. Yeah. So I have to you know change my test discipline to, to avoid doing that. I, I do that quite a lot because I'm thinking, but what about this scenario? And I had a customer last week that was doing this and that's not on the question. So it usually takes me almost the entire exam time to pass an exam.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, I think that you talk to anybody that takes any level of pride and passion in what they do, especially from an instructor standpoint, is we can sit down and teach you how this stuff works. And then once you have an understanding and a grasp of that, you can put any test question in front of them and they can work their way through it. I mean, you look at an exam and they're called just distractors. Distractors. Yes. And they're called that for a reason because they're supposed to distract you from what the actual answer is. And so, I mean, it, it works really well, but again, you teach the you teach the material and you teach people, you know, the ins and outs of it. I think you, you really kind of throw a testament to that piece of it so that then you're equipping people to not only pass that test, but to face real world issues as well.
2: And that, that's more important. The, the certification may get you through some Check boxes on a resume or something. But when you get the job, you really need to be able to do the job. Yep. Uh, and so it's really uh, important. I have a, a fun story. A uh, friend of mine, this was probably 15, almost 20 years ago, his uh, truck broke down when he's pulling his boat. So he called the uh, the tow truck to come help him out. And the tow truck driver's there, and he's reached, my friend's reaching in his wallet for his credit card to pay for the tow truck and he has his Microsoft MC, or MCSE card in his wallet you know, with the cert and everything on it. And the tow truck driver says, oh, look, I'm an MCSE, too, and pulls out his. He wasn't, <laughs> working, wasn't even working in IT, and he, he had the, the certification. Yeah, that's uh,
0: which, funny. He could have been the,
2: the most savvy IT tow truck driver you ever met, but yeah. it was just a funny thing seeing that, that happen. And you wind up with a lot of people that have the certs but don't have the hands-on, uh, and at some point, you either have a lot of experience and no certification, or you've had the training and no certification or experience, or you you eventually get to a point where you have all three. Yep. And and that's where you know a good course helps you when somebody's not teaching the exam when they're teaching you how to do things and you get some hands-on with what you're doing. All of that's fantastic because then you go back to work and you can do the job. Yep. Because that's what your employer really wants. Yeah. They want you to be able to do to do the job. Now, some partnerships require different levels, certifications and things like that. So that's just part of doing the business. But at the end of the day, if you're out deploying things, you do a bad job, then that customer is not going to call you
1: back. Yep. Yep.
2: Or, you know, or they're not going to pay
1: you. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I think we always circle back to this, you can put somebody in a chair and teach them how to be the best, you know, break, fix network troubleshooting guy, Wi-Fi troubleshooting guy, any level of that that you want. But one thing that they have a harder time overcoming is when you architect design and build a network that is poorly designed out of the gate. And it's something that happens in the wired arena, it happens in the wireless arena and I I think personally the Wi-Fi design is a much more complex topic, right? When you walk into a data center and you start looking at how you're gonna build out whatever environment you're building, you don't have all these different variables that exist in a Wi-Fi world, right? You don't have walls and windows and bleed through and you know signals coming and RF coming from all these different directions. You really have that. And one thing I've always noticed in talking to you is that you take a great deal of of pride and interest in design. So you want to make sure that you know, people are designing their networks correctly from the beginning and there's certainly ways to do that. Um, So I think, you know, we talked about it before. We're going to kind of focus on that a little bit here and talk about design.
2: Design is, uh, a poor design rather, is the number one cause of most wireless problems. It's either poorly designed from the beginning or, or no design or it was great a year ago and the use of the network or the devices or the applications on the network have changed and nobody adapted the network to the new use of the network.
1: What's the number I one design do. flaw? Just real quick. Sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but
2: sorry, no, right. um, people who design for coverage and not capacity, that's okay. probably the number okay. one flaw. And that dates back to, well, when wifi first was released in 1997, it was primarily, primarily about coverage. If you turn on an access point at full power and you walk around the coverage area, as long as you can connect at the lowest data rate, you're connected. And if you were doing nineteen ninety-seven barcode scanners with telnet, beep and you're done, it worked. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't translate to working when you've got IoT and bring your own device and machine to machine connectivity and voice and you know regular data with laptops going on in a, a dense environment. So coverage is, is, table stakes. I have to have coverage because if I don't have a signal, I can't use a network, but is that signal usable yeah. by everyone who needs to use it from that AP and from the next AP and does roaming work? Um, people make the mistake of just planning for coverage all the time and think that's great. Or they do what I, I've always called the no survey survey. They hang up access points and then enable automatic channel and power and let the APs and controller work out the channels and power and they think they're done. Well, that just means that the APs have picked the right power and channel for where they are. It doesn't mean that they're gonna get the right airtime for the clients and airtime rules Wi-Fi. You've gotta make sure that you've got the airtime for the intended application use within that space. And people just don't take that into account. And and one thing we saw that, that kind of feeds into that is a few years ago when bring your own device didn't mean connect to the guest network. It started meaning connect to the internal network and do work with your personal device. People failed to plan for that. Mm-hmm. And one of the first indicators kind of like when you, when the reptiles disappear from an area, you know, the, the environment's not good. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that happened when BYOD moved in is that the environment wasn't good anymore because I couldn't get an IP address. People didn't plan their scope to be large enough to support the hundreds and thousands of new devices coming in, and they were running out of IP addresses. So if you weren't one of the first 10 people in the building that day, you couldn't get an address. That was quickly realized. Kind of like uh, when, um, do you remember Lantastic and LAN in a can and all those things when when Ethernet first started becoming really, really popular? We used to have a problem where, uh, and this is from a real conversation with a customer, why is it? every time I turn my lights on, I can't connect to anything. That was because somebody ran the Ethernet cable. It was cat three unshielded cable. They ran it across the top of the ballast for the fluorescent lights. So the ballast was creating EMI and you got no signal. Yeah. Well, we learned yeah. not to do that. You move the cables away from that. We also learned to put in courtesy loops in case you had to move the drop from one end to another without having to rerun the cable. So we learned that. In fact, Ethernet, came from wireless technology from th- the ethereal that's where it came from so there's a lot of similarities but and this is another thing that confuses people there are similarities between ethernet and wi-fi and they just assume wi-fi is the same it's not the same uh, so we we learn those things in the wired network and unfortunately here we are 23 years after wi-fi was first uh, launched and we're still learning mm-hmm. we're still learning just the basic stuff of Mounting APs properly, orienting antennas properly if you're using external antenna APs, uh, cable links, power over Ethernet requirements. All those things we're still learning. And unfortunately, they're all things that should be taken into account during the design phase that either... And I'm going to use the word ignorant here, uh, but I mean it in the classic sense. People just don't know. They're ignorant of what they have to take into account physically to mount the access points. And there's a website, you know, badfi.com, that has pictures of poorly deployed, uh, access points that make you laugh and cry at the same time, laugh because it's funny and cry because you know, somebody got paid to do that. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's, just, it's just wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. so we're still learning, uh, you really have to understand design to understand what a good network is. And unfortunately there are so many people that aren't you know, qualified to do the design work that just have it thrust upon them. Maybe they've been doing wired for years and their boss just says, Hey, We want Wi-Fi, put up some access points. right? And they just kind of hang them willy-nilly in in, uh, conference rooms and open areas where they think they need them, and then they wonder why it doesn't work. And around areas like the server room, and this is a weird thing for for interference, I never thought of it until I saw one, a large uninterruptible power supply supply, emitting noise in 2.4 and taking out the 2.4 spectrum around the server room. And you're looking for standard noise generators you you wouldn't think of a power supply doing that but some of them do they're just not insulated well enough and they'll take out the wi-fi and if they'd done a good uh walkthrough and uh, spectrum analysis they would have found the noise planned around it but you know they didn't just just poor design that's probably the longest answer to a question you've had in any podcast but, but <laughs>
1: it's, it's it's very complete it's a very succinct answer and i think that's good so one which proves how
2: complex, just like you said, it proves how much more complex it is.
1: Yeah, and that's really the big thing. I mean, people think, like you said, Wi-Fi, you throw an EP up, you've got Wi-Fi, hey, everybody's good to go. And then a week later, you've got somebody complaining, I keep dropping connection, I can't connect, things like that. So, you know, airtime well, is, is key. Go ahead.
2: I am going to say, or, or somebody will tell you, I plugged up Wi-Fi at home and it worked, it took me five minutes. Right. Yeah, because at home... It's meant for that. It's meant to plug it up and it just works because you're going to have five or 10 devices or more if the kids are home, but in an office, you don't just plug it up and it works. Right. And un- unfortunately it kind of works, which, which makes diagnosing problems that much more difficult because it will be intermittent or my, my saying too, I, I like to always tell people and I brought this up in a meeting yesterday is people don't know the difference between good and good enough. And just good enough. It kind of works. And they get used to good enough because they've never had good before. Yep. You know, if you're getting 80% of the oxygen you have, you might be able to live. So it's it's
1: good enough
2: to live for a few minutes, but it's not good enough to really, you know, get the best out of what you want to
1: do. Yep. So when you look at design, so I know in the, in the wired world, and, and I've said this before, I mean, my background is all wired routing and switching. And I have exposure to Wi-Fi and wireless. When you look at wired networks, you can future-proof them to a point, right? I mean, when you build it and architect it out, you're looking at... The only thing you can really look at at a certain level is, well, we need more capacity, right? That's where stacking helps. That's where port density helps. That's where port speeds help as well, right? When you look at Wi-Fi, I mean, you see things like Wi-Fi 6 and DPSK and WPA3 and these terms getting thrown around... Those are newer features and technologies that go into it. But the underlying thing that really always rings home with Wi-Fi is the design. So you've got to be able to go through and look at, I mean, you have to do a site survey beforehand, before the deployment. And then I would also recommend you do one after the fact so you know that everything that you did is pretty much factually accurate to what you were going for.
2: Yeah, that's, we call that a post-deployment validation.
1: Yeah, and make sure, hey, I wasn't smoking something, right? I'm doing the right thing. But when you go through that now, the airtime is such a fluctuation. If I look at a wired network and I'm looking at traffic, I can trend that over a pretty good period of time. Airtime of devices, just because I have one person come into the office, it doesn't mean that they're going to have one device attached to that Wi-Fi network. One day they could have two. One day they could have three. One day they could have one. So your fluctuations are so much greater in that in that environment, in that world. And so when you look at planning aspects of that and design aspects of that, how do you plan around that stuff? I mean, what's a good way to look at it and say, okay, we've got a delta here. How much headroom are we going to leave in that?
2: Well, that's exactly what you do. You have to plan for what you absolutely need and project out where do you think you're going to be in five years and what do you think the neighbors around you are going to be doing and you build yourself in a margin. If you were building bridges, it's called a fade margin. So you have your link budget uh, of the data rates and the power levels you need to get what you actually have to work, and then you'll create a margin above that in case something happens. You know, So if I start losing signal strength, am I still gonna work? So you plan for that. Now with airtime, it is increasingly difficult because we've been able to bring your own device and we have Internet of Things devices that constantly have to report. And that's not a lot of traffic usually. It's just a heartbeat. Here I am. This happened. You know, Brian took 15 steps. Mm-hmm. You know, so you put those things out. That's not a lot. But we've changed our mentality of how we network. It used to be wired only because we didn't know about Wi-Fi then it was wired by default and Wi-Fi as demanded, and now it's Wi-Fi first and wired as necessary to support the Wi-Fi. So when you're deploying Wi-Fi yourself, it forces you to not only learn your airtime or the needs of your clients, you have to learn your wired network. So you'll find people that that wanted to focus just on Wi-Fi, suddenly they have to relearn switching and routing. And PoE, because uh, with PoE switches, I could power all my uh, APs with no problem. I could even throw some phones into the mix with no problem. But if I'm in an area where I'm using heated surveillance cameras in the parking lot, uh, that's going to draw a lot more power. And people overlook things like power budget of the switch and just simple things like number of ports. And one thing a lot of people overlook that is not your network, not your wireless, not your wired the pipe coming into the building. Mm -hmm. What's the bandwidth? Because not only do we have more devices in our network, the devices that are coming into the network, increasing that number are more often using cloud-based services and cloud-based applications. So the need for internet access has grown. Uh, We'll need to increase the size of the pipe coming into the building or have multiple pipes coming in from different vendors for fault tolerance. And part of the design phase, you've got to look at what needs to change on the wired network to support what you have on the Wi-Fi side.
1: Yeah.
2: You, you may not be surprised. You've been networking a long time, but for people that are new, you get surprised by the number of wired side issues that get blamed on Wi-Fi because that's how the user's connecting is wirelessly. They just assume it's a wireless problem. It's a networking problem. Yep. It's not necessarily wired or wireless. It's just Networking. Yep. All we're doing is changing the medium and how we access it. It's a networking issue of some kind. Um, so you've got to, you've got to plan for those things, and a good design helps you accomplish a large portion of that. Now it's working today, and it's, it works for the, the the near future. But what if something comes up? Business trends change, or you mentioned eight hundred two eleven AX Wi-Fi six. Wi-Fi six is out. Maybe I need to expand my network. Do I go with Wi-Fi 6 access points today? Do I go with the APs that I have? And you can't just upgrade from one protocol to another by swapping the APs out because how the protocols function is different. Mm -hmm. And it's going to change the, the coverage space of one AP, the basic service set area. So you may need to move their locations. You may need to add more. You may need to take some out. You may need to switch to different models to support the different client types. So there's a lot involved in redesigning a network to meet the oncoming changes. How do you and, do and that? that?
1: How do you do that in an existing environment? If I have a current Wi-Fi deployment that I have now, which is using a N, right? Summit, I'm using 2.4 gig and five. But I need to. Uh, I'm doing laptop refreshes this year. I got a lot of people that use Wi-Fi on their laptop. But a lot of the chips that are coming in now they're coming in with AX or Wi-Fi six chips. So I have an existing Wi-Fi deployment that I need to start migrating Wi-Fi six APs into. what are the challenges with trying to figure out because you have to look at different placements, right? Because the the beam and the spectrum is going to be different on a Wi-Fi 6 AP than it is on the existing APs that I have now. So if I take it at a R720 and I compare it to what it's doing to a R730, the footprint's going to be different. Right? The behavior is going to be different. How do I go in and now site survey my entire site to figure out where I'm going to place these? I mean, is it going to be that much vastly different?
2: It can be. You know, uh, Wi-Fi six is backwards compatible with exist, existing technologies, so when you first start looking at it, I use the term pepper them in. So you're going to put them in places where you know you're going to have the the newer client devices first. Mm-hmm. Conference rooms because you can't control what your guests bring in. Guest areas executive areas, because executives tend to get the new toys first. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing what you mentioned, uh, refreshing laptops everywhere, immediately they're going to be backwards compatible with your existing infrastructure. So you don't need to touch things right now. But if you start seeing the clients, you really need to start looking at the network first. Normally the APs come out first with the new protocols and then the clients follow. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at where, where you need to do that. And it may not be the entire network is done with the new protocol overnight. It could be building by building, floor by floor, area by area. But you do need to do, I recommend a brand new physical site survey because you don't know what your neighbors have done around you since the original survey. And you may need to move APs around, You know, add more cable drops, um, add more switches to support that, more power to support it, and change the mounting locations. Some mounting locations will still be fine. Yeah. If you have one AP in a conference room, you have one AP in a conference room. Right. So that one's not going to be bad. But out over the uh, cube farm, you may need to move some things around and, or in a, a large auditorium, certainly you will need to move some things around, add more in there. So you really got to look at the whole thing and where it's going to be once that rolls out, which brings up a, a you know an earlier question that kind of predates that one. Uh, how long am I going to have this network? How long is this equipment going to be good? And it's usually about five years or so. And then five years down the road, you know, here's AC, here's AX, here's A whatever, or Wi-Fi 7 or whatever they want to call it in the future. And people start wanting that. They want faster and faster and faster all the time, faster and cheaper drive IT.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So you know, if I see something faster, I'm going to want it. So I've got to make it last as long as I can. Yep. There's not, there's not a, a quick one-for-one swap. Usually when the protocols change and the use of the network changes along with it, that warrants a new physical site survey and a new design. And the design, you've got to take into account a lot of things. I call them the pillars of good Wi-Fi. So you have to take into account the business requirements. What is my organization trying to do with this network? What do we need to support? And inside that, you've got you know the client types and the individual needs of each client type and the applications they're running along with the needs of those applications. And that's going to change your airtime utilization. So you've got to take that into account and then the environment around you with your neighbors doing the same thing you're doing, they're going to change the environment around you by adding more access points, taking up channels that were free previously clean for you. And your, the coverage requirements are going to change with the the protocols. Mm -hmm. When you move to Wi-Fi six from 802.11 AC, To truly get the high speeds out of that, you've got to be very, very close to the access point. In addition to supporting the same MIMO and everything else that the AP supports on the client, uh, you've got to be close to the access point. So you're going to add more APs and it's going to change the overall footprint of your network. Well, your neighbors are doing the same thing. Yeah. And to think you could just go in and build yours without doing another physical survey means that you're building in a problem, which goes back to a a topic from the, the beginning, you know, bad design. Yeah. There are just too many things to think of uh, just to say, I'm going to go swap it out. So you need to spend a lot of time. And obviously the I think the hardest part, and I've said this for years, the hardest part of a design is gathering the requirements because the customers don't know what they don't know. Yeah, Selling Wi-Fi is not transactional business. You know, if I need a thousand dinner plates, but for a thousand guests, I need a thousand plates plus a certain number over for breakage and, you know, this is dirty and that kind of stuff. And you can plan for that. When somebody comes to you and says, hey, Matt, I want Wi-Fi in my company. What does that mean? Yeah. And do you want guest Wi-Fi? Do you want just, you know, basic <laughs> Wi-Fi? Do you want voice? You know, do you want to allow IoT and bring your own device? Do you have machine-to-machine connectivity? What kind of noise do you have? Is it a single-tenant building or one of the most awful places to design deploy Wi-Fi? Is it a hospital, which is a multi-tenant building, with you know life-saving you know body area of net body area network equipment that just has to work. Yeah, you know, yeah. So what does I want Wi-Fi mean? They don't know. They're gonna say I just want Wi-Fi everywhere. We have a lot of devices that need to connect. So you have to know the vertical or the business type that you're you're gonna be designing in, as well as the things that that typically needs, which will give you the questions to ask. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna to have to interview all the stakeholders. Not just the CIO that says, I want Wi-Fi. You've got to interview them and find out what that means. You've got to get an idea of what the budget is from them. And then you've got to ask questions of the people that are actually going to be using the Wi-Fi and everyone in between and the support staff. And some type of educational process for handing the network over has to be in place. There's still a a lot to consider. So much so, and and you mentioned CWMP, they actually have a five-day class on wireless design. A five-day class on design that's a lot. And and that just kind of opens your mind to the things to think about. It's not definitive. And, you know, we have design training and uh, the companies that make the predictive and uh, physical survey software have, you know, their classes too. And then you get real world experience. And just because you did one hospital doesn't mean you know Jack about the next hospital because they're going to have different requirements and different uh tenants inside the hospital, different doctor groups and things of that nature Mm -hmm. with their
1: own requirements. And
2: maybe they've set up stuff and there's no frequency coordination. They just do whatever they want. So you've walked into the wild west of Wi-Fi again. Yeah.
1: So when you look at design, because that's the thing, I mean, anybody that does this knows design is multifaceted, right? It's financial, it's political, and it's physical. (laughs) So what physical limitations do you have in the building? What politics are behind it? and what are the financial constraints because nobody has an unlimited budget. So you have to take all of that into account and you have to make these pieces fit into it, which is one, one piece of it, right? The other piece of it is the tools. What tools exist out there and, and what do you encourage people to use and what does Ruckus have that allows people to successfully design Wi-Fi networks? Okay.
2: Well, I'll answer those in, in kind of a mixed order if you don't mind. Not at all. Uh- yeah, Ruckus offers is our, our, our Wi-Fi planner, and we're going to provide a link in the bottom yep. uh, of the, the video for this so people can can, can find that.
1: Well, and it's also and audio it, recorded, so you might want to, to state okay, it. Okay,
2: well. it's um, httpsruckus.yagnaiq.com, uh, and you can uh, acquire it. Uh, it. It's a reasonable price. It, it's a predictive design tool, though. It gives you a rough idea of how many APs you need in a certain kind of space, either industrial or office space. And you can plan the walls and you can do things to just generically create attenuation areas based on the type of building it is. It'll give you a a rough estimate or a good starting point.
1: Does it adjust that for the model of AP? Yes. Okay.
2: You You can choose any access point from the entire Ruckus portfolio and add those in. So, if somebody's going back and forth between you know, the 730 and the 750, and, and there are differences between the two, and you can compare them in there and see what the, the differences are, you can highlight those. Uh, you can certainly do that and get a, a good idea of your starting point. Okay. But like I mentioned, it's a predictive tool. So, it's just predictive design, not an actual, I've done a, a physical site survey walkthrough. So, there are a lot of tools out there. And if, people are currently not using tools or just doing kind of a, a hang and run a predictive design tool is going to give them a leg up and make them more efficient at bidding. So they don't tell the customer you need 90 access points when they need a hundred. Yeah. And then you have to go back and say, Hey, you need to adjust your budget because we really need 10 more. Um, It'll give you a a better idea than just, just sticking your finger in the air and seeing which way the wind's blowing to hang an AP. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So uh, people do that. Uh, It's just put one here and put one there and, it gets you out of that and moves you to a more professional look and feel in your presentations and you can export things from there. It's a great tool. And we're, we have some training for it available on uh, the Ruckus wireless training portal. Uh, so it, it's a good tool for that predictive design work. If you need the physical survey work of detecting what the neighbors are around you, detecting the existing network you have, detecting noise, you're going to have to do a walkthrough. And there are a lot of tools out there available for that, for that, uh, depending on your budget and what you want want to buy. There are just you know tons of them out there starting uh, or, uh, under $2,000 to close to $10,000. So it just depends on how much of it you're going to do and how large the network is and what you want to get out of it. Yep. And over time of, of doing this as a professional, doing physical site surveys, you'll just keep adding tools to your kit and adding tools to your kit. Like when you take your car in to have it worked on, I guarantee the mechanic that works on it didn't start with that big rack of tools with every tool and every drawer that's there in their, their big cabinet, yep. they just added to, as they run across a different job and a different job. So you're going to add different tools as you go along, um, you know, from packet analysis to spectrum analysis. I, and I know people that, and I, and again, I've been doing this since before there were design tools. Uh, people would run around with a packet capture, see what was in the airspace in terms of Wi-Fi, and then run around the same area with some spectrum analyzer to see what non Wi-Fi noise is there and then have a network map. And we used to call it a solo cup design where you drop a cup on the map and draw a circle around it. Okay. This AP is going to cover this. AP is going to cover that. (laughs) So I've seen from that all the way to multi-thousand dollar tools to do design work. Yeah. Uh, And any of those are better than the just hang an AP and run survey, which isn't really the no survey survey is not a real survey. Yeah. It's just hoping because they do it at home. And then they wonder why don't I have good coverage on the other side of the kitchen, not thinking about that. I have to get through the refrigerator and through the stove and through the walls. And, and at home, you might be able to put up with that, but you can't put up that in the front at all. No. It's just got to work.
1: And I think there's, there's homes out there that are built to have ruckus equipment in them. And I guarantee you they're having a better wifi experience than the neighboring neighborhood that was built by a different builder that doesn't have that because they're using the AP off the surfboard or whatever, and you walk out in the backyard, you have no more Wi-Fi. And we've had friends come over to our house, and they'll attach to the Wi-Fi and they go out back and like your Wi-Fi works out here, and I'm like, yeah, it does. It's because it's not the, you know, the surfboard AP or anything like that. Like we built it out here in the house to make sure that it covers everything. So,
2: and you're probably like I am. You might be your neighbor's IT guy. So my Wi-Fi works at my neighbor's house.
1: Yes. So if they have
2: problems on their network, I can still connect them on. Yep, exactly.
1: And I and so, I work IT for my parents for sure. <laughs> you know, my sister not as much, but and I put an AP in my parents' house because the problem was my dad would go out back and have his iPad and sit on the patio, and he would lose his Wi-Fi. So we stuck an AP in there, and now he's he's happy. He can go out there, and it works great.
2: You mentioned the homes that are built using uh, Ruckus gear that's enterprise quality equipment yep. where you would normally have someone with a, you know, hundred dollar AP from the office supply store. And even if they have the same footprint and support the same standards, the quality of the radios are different. And just like at home, at, at the office at home, the volume of devices has skyrocketed. Those little cheap Soho access points were never meant to handle the volume of devices and traffic that an enterprise quality AP handles. Yep. And you'll have some small businesses that kind of grown organically and they were used to buying the, the little cheap ones and hang two here and hang two there. And now they're not getting what they once got when they were a small mom and pop organization. Yep. Well, they had to get bigger buildings. So they should look at getting better equipment too. Exactly. Their, their, their use of the network has grown. If it hasn't changed, it's at least grown. So the, their footprint's bigger. The neighbors are, are around them uh, to a greater extent causing issues you can't escape design even in a small network. Even in a home network with one access point, you still at least, at least need to find the best place to put the AP in your home and the best channel
1: to use. Yeah, and one of the things we did too from an understanding standpoint on that was homeowners, I mean, we we understand this stuff because we work with it day in and day out, but most homeowners don't. I mean, they're not Wi-Fi engineers, network engineers. I mean – Even some software engineers are going to look at it and say, I don't know, just make it work, right? And so we looked at that and thought, well, we've got to give them some additional content to kind of help them work with and manage these networks. So we put YouTube content together and put it out there and said, hey, if you need to reset your AP, this is how you do it. If you need to create an SSID or a guest network or, you know, look at this is how you do this stuff step by step, showing them just because we understand that just because we're putting enterprise grade equipment in a household doesn't mean that you should automatically be able to walk into it and know, well, there's, I went from one device, which was my cable or DSL modem that was all encompassed in one to now I have four different pieces of equipment in my house, aside from that DSL modem, what is going on here? So we just kind of walked through all of that and explained it. And it was, it was not to confuse. It was to unconfuse and give comfort to people thinking, I don't know what any of this stuff is doing. So we've, we've tried to mitigate some of that and not go after the entire group. Cause I know there are some people that understand it, but at least just inform them more. Here's what's here. Here's what it does. That kind of thing. And and that's been helpful. I mean, we've we've gotten good feedback on that kind of stuff. So we're always kind of forward looking with that stuff to see if we can help, you know,
2: yeah, that's important to help the, the people to help themselves because they're not going to call an IT specialist all the time to come in and, yeah. Figure out why their Wi-Fi is not working.
1: Yep. And there's we some do. IT specialists that they're not always going to know either. I mean, that's okay. why I thought, let's just take it straight from the horse's mouth and we'll tell you exactly what it is and exactly what's going on and we'll just kind of go from there. So, And we're looking at doing additional content for them as well too. If, so.
2: you, if you take that, it it actually scales up too. Because when you go from a home to a small office with five APs, it's the same scenario. They're going to outsource their IT, uh, maybe they don't know enough to, to hire the right person. The person they hired did the wired for them, so they think they could do the Wi-Fi too. And then it goes from you know SMB to uh, small to medium enterprise and all the way to enterprise yeah. the, the same way. So really having a, a solid understanding of, of why, how Wi-Fi works and then how to design and secure it properly. And security should be part of the design. Sure. That, that's a large leap for a lot of IT people that you know for years have been wired only and have had wireless thrust upon them and they've been trying to learn here and trying to learn there and mm-hmm. learning a little bit mm-hmm. by experience and missing out that's why there are there are a number of people that make a living doing nothing but design work
1: yeah
2: They're, they'll do a, a pre-deployment physical survey and uh, a design based on all the business criteria and everything we've already talked about yeah And then they hand it off to the customer to find their own person to run the cables and hang the gear.
1: Yeah. And And then maybe they
2: come back in to help them set things up or manage it
1: later. Yeah. And the reality is people like you and myself and you know, people within ruckus, we care how it's working and what it's doing and how well it works. Majority of people, they come in, they don't care. Just, I just want it to work. That's all I care about. I want my kids to be able to pull their iPad out and do their homework, get their tablet out and watch a movie or play a game or whatever they're doing. They don't care. They just want it to work. And, you know, one of the biggest reality realities behind that is even when you look at, so you take a large house, they have one single surfboard DSL cable modem with Wi-Fi built into it. And let's say dad goes out and buys a brand new smoker and he gets a fancy trigger. I'm not, don't even get me started on pellet grills, but he buys a Traeger and it's Wi-Fi enabled, right? But the Wi-Fi signal sucks on his back deck and he can't actually connect it to AP and he can't monitor it and modify it. Then all of a sudden you know, he's having that problem where the neighboring neighborhood ha- doesn't have that problem because the guy goes outside and his pellet grill has perfectly good Wi-Fi signal to it. I have friends that own Traeger's and I tease them relentlessly. So I'm, I'll, I might get hate for it, but I call them easy bake ovens and you're a purist like I am. So I can do that.
2: And my wife gave me grief when I got a Bluetooth enabled thermostat. <laughs> I just want to know what the grill temp was, while I was and the food temp while I'm sitting in the uh, a thermometer Uh, for the food while I'm sitting in the um, living room without having to get up. And, you know, God forbid you have to open, I never want to open my grill and probe because every time you open up, you lose heat. Yep. So I went uh, all Bluetooth with that a while back and that was enough for me just to sit and be able to do what I'm doing and look at the numbers and know, okay, the food's coming up to temp, the grill's still good. So I don't have to go touch
1: anything. Yep. I've got one too. I have a probe like that. I don't, I don't use it as much. I've kind of gotten to the point to where I don't certain things I cook to temperature. Certain things I don't, so it really just depends on what I'm cooking, and then I have to figure out what probe I'm going to pull out and how I'm going to probe it. So the same way, I mean, there's times where if you're doing an all-day or an all-night overnight cook, then, yeah, I want that Bluetooth-enabled or Wi-Fi-enabled probe so I can just pull it up and look at it real quick instead of having to get up, put shoes on, go out, and blah, blah, blah I just man.
2: want to make sure the smoker stays to temp.
1: Yep, that's always my concern too. I just so.
2: want to make sure I don't need to go add wood or, or uh, cool it down somehow if it's gotten too hot. Yep. Uh, That's important stuff to me. It is. And I know that's a nitpicky use of a wireless technology, but people do that. But that's the benefit of it. Cool things are out there. And you got at home, like uh, the camera doorbells and the the, uh, thermostats or Wi Fi. And I think you mentioned our our last uh, podcast why does my refrigerator need to have Wi Fi in it? So tons and tons of things are just just coming with it. Yeah. I remember you used to have to get a PCMCA card for your laptop. And then it went to uh, a PCIe and integrated on the system board. So now there's no PCMCIA slot and tablets. It just comes with Wi-Fi yep. because it's just assumed nobody wants to be tethered. And some devices you buy, they don't even have an Ethernet port that is all wireless. So yep. that tells you a lot about how the, the clients have changed.
1: You know, what's funny is typically at home, I prefer to be on Wi-Fi, it's more mobile. If Mm -hmm. I'm at work in the office, I prefer to be wired. But that's also because a lot of what I do is is content creation. So I'm moving pretty big files around. So I prefer to be wired just because in the grand scheme of it, office buildings, especially with Wi-Fi, they're a little noisier. So you're going to have slower transfer rates than you would wired. right? And I just prefer to be wired in the office. But at home, I'm like, "Ah, I'll take Wi-Fi all day long.
2: You know, in the office... And this goes to changing with the protocols again, with AC and AX or Wi-Fi six, whichever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about multi-gigabit Wi-Fi data rates, and wired plugged in for years, a hundred meg connection was the king. And really, most users, a hundred meg is more than they'll ever use when they plug in. But someone like us, it's you know transferring big files back and forth, and maybe we need more than that. Well, you can get that today with Wi-Fi. If the office is planned properly, yep. if it's not, plug in. And I've had to tell people that before. You know, the Wi-Fi in your office was not designed for what you're doing today, so you need to plug in. Yep. And then they're like, you're, you know, a two year old, but I don't want to. And, <laughs> well, then, you know, then you need to have discussions about redesigning the Wi-Fi to meet the current uses, because it was probably a good design five, six years ago. Yep. Today, with the change use, it, it's not good anymore. Right, so like that. The first car you get you know, is usually you know a smaller car, a two seater sports car or something, and then you get married and you have the kids, and suddenly you've got to rethink the car. Oh yeah, you has know, got to go to four door, and then you know a van or something. Oh man, my first. And then car you have multiple traffic. for different purposes. And yeah. <laughs> so it, it's the same kind of thing, and people just don't they don't see it like you mentioned. They're they're not IT professionals. They do whatever job they were hired to do very well. And even if they're IT people, they may not be Wi-Fi people. Yep. One of the, the best wired support guys that I ever worked with called me, and this is funny that it's on this talk, called me last week having problems with his Wi-Fi at home. He was using one access point, and it's it's purely Soho gear. One access point and then two, they call them wireless range extenders. No man. Which is just a repeater. Yep. And and you're shaking your head because you know the same thing I do run a cable and add another ap is the
1: answer exactly (laughs) because
2: repeaters take the uh half duplex medium and cut it in half again because of the extra hop so you don't want to do that but he did because he didn't want to run cables everywhere in the house and he said it was working before but in one area of the house he dropped down to and he tested it with speed test he's getting below one meg throughput suddenly and that's ridiculous he goes to the other area of the house close to the ap and, and to the other extender everything's working so in my mind i'm immediately thinking if everything else works that extender is having problems yeah so i i walked him through downloading some testing tools and sure enough it wound up being that one extender because he moved it to another area of the house and swapped them out and the problem <laughs> followed that device so he's in the process of trying to rma that that particular extender or, or and he knows how to run cable. I said, just, just
1: run cables and put in more APs. Yeah, just be done with it. So I had, that a, doing that. I had a weird issue at home with our security system, our doorbell. So the doorbell cameras, they're supposed to have basically a depth range of about six to eight, maybe 10 feet max. And that's where that motional triggers. So if something comes by it, it's got to be, you know, within 10 feet to trigger it. Well, the issue with this camera is it's a super highly sensitive camera, apparently, or it's faulty, and I've already replaced it. It does the same thing. I can have cars that are 30 feet away, 50 feet away, drive down the street, and it'll trigger that motion. So, you know, you get a, a bush and the wind hits it. It's moving. You get a car driving, but you have all these different variables. And so I finally got fed up, and I called them, and I said, you need to figure out what's going on with this camera because it's recording things it shouldn't be. Okay, and the guy asked me, he goes, take your phone and go over there. I want you to do a speed test next to the doorbell. And I started laughing. And he goes, do you have poor internet? And I was like, no, dude, I'm just going to kind of tell you right now ahead of time, this is a really big waste of your time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee you there is no bandwidth issues by this door. <laughs> he said, all right, well, let's try it anyways.
0: The
2: bandwidth issue wouldn't trigger the sensitivity no. of, of triggering the, the recording either. Yeah,
1: that's. I was. I kind of scratched my head, but I think he was trying to look and see if there was a – larger encompassing issue and it was probably something you ran into with a different customer prior to talking to me and wanted to run through it and i just kind of chuckled i said i mean i'll do it because i get what you're doing but it's it's going to be a waste of your time
2: mine was doing the same thing it's sensitive out that far but in the ui you can adjust the uh, the zone where it it triggers down smaller so that, that's what i did which yeah. means about 2 a.m i get moths and other things and i've had one time it goes off at four in the morning i get the alert because I'm awake because IT people tend to work weird schedules. So I looked at it and it actually was a frog that had gotten on the camera. And and I don't mind. I'd rather have that than have somebody at the door stealing my packages and not get detected. So you can play with, you can actually set ours up to only trigger based on human images. And I've left that off because I'd rather trigger on everything and then sort later. Kind of like a packet capture. Give me everything and I'll, I'll put in my own filter later on.
1: I think what I'm going to end up doing with this contract is up, and I'll tell you who this is offline because I don't want to bash anybody, but you know some of those features don't exist. Um, I can turn the sensitivity down of it, and I've got it down all the way. It still doesn't matter. So the company we used prior was fine, um, so I'll probably just move back to them. But anyways, I digress. Well, Brian, thanks for joining me. It's uh, It's been an awesome conversation. I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to be back on the instructor panel here soon as well, so... No, thanks anything. for having me again.
2: Uh, based on when this is going out, we may have a, new topics, or you know, we could revisit
1: portions of design if if we needed needed to. Yeah, absolutely, and we will we'll cover that for sure. So, you got it. All right, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Yep. All right. See you, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to Ruckcast. If you just found us for the first time, be sure to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice so you can be notified of future episodes. If you have ideas for future episodes or can't find RuckCast on your favorite platform, contact us at ruckcast at commscope.com. And as always, thanks for listening.